Hey everyone, welcome back to the Manchurian Candidate. Honestly, a lot of you really, really like the idea of having a uh, talk about the history in the extended essay. You like the methodology and all of it, but this time around, I think in this episode, maybe you might like to hear about content, especially if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Well, I got you. Today, we're gonna go and explore the content of my essay, which is titled Opposition to Industrial Progress in the Lord of the Rings, an analysis on J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Let's go. Let's talk a little bit about industrial progress. Now, when you think of industrial progress, you might not be thinking about the same industrial progress I am. When I'm using that term, I'm talking about progress done, uh, especially during the Industrial Revolution, not so much trades. The Industrial Revolution was a transition to new manufacturing processes in Europe. This was about the mid-18th century to the mid-19th century. Now, industrial progress, there are many people who either support it or those who do not believe in it which is totally fine. Everyone knows that in different uh, cases, there are people opposed to change, opposed to progress. Um, this is true in literature too, actually. That's something that surprised me during this, uh, the research for this essay. So um, there are authors who basically um, go and they find that, okay, well, my background, my experiences and beliefs have shaped some of my, tra some of my uh, characters, some of my plot. Um, this is no different in Lord of the Rings. Um, so I was going to, in this essay, talk about the following. In J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy, like into history, both Tolkien's own and otherwise, industrial progress represents an unwelcome yet inevitable change to the anti-modernist and conservative setting that is Middle-earth through a gain of power and a loss of cultural identity for its inhabitants. So in my intro to this essay, I start talking a little bit about how Tolkien, in his own upbringing, had his um, misconceptions but also his distrust too of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, because he grew up uh, witnessing firsthand those effects. Now his setting of Middle-earth was a reflection of this, and anything that had any connection to industrial progress um, was true to um, something that was to not be trusted, something that was evil. Now this is true especially to the con conservative settings in his locations, in the Shire, where hobbits... Uh, fear, wealth, and greed in Isengard, where machines come in direct conflict with natural entities, including the inhabitants of Fangorn Forest, and to the forefront of Middle-earth's battle as well, between the already fallen orcs of Mordor and the shining beacon of hope for men that is Gondor. That's my intro. Um, I talked a little bit more into, um, I want to say... Uh, distrust of anything that's not tradition to, which is a staple of conservatism, both classical and modern. Moving on to the first paragraph.
Paragraph one. Paragraph one was very interesting. So now we're talking about the Shire, which is a peaceful rural dwelling of traditional, lively, yet well-to-do folk called hobbits. Now, Tolkien makes sure to portray them as creatures who fear wealth, greed, and distrust industrial progress. I toss in a few quotes about that, and I also talk about how Bilbo worked for his wealth, but... Um, everyone sees him as odd, and the treasure he owns is known as unnatural and will bring trouble, um, although it's to be grudgingly accepted. Uh, Tolkien, now he goes and he talks about that at this time too, hobbits um, don't like Bilbo, uh, Bilbo's reluctance to relinquish greed. Um, especially his own possessions, but we all know that he also has the One Ring, which has a hold of power over him. So there's talk also of greed. Now, if you think about in the Industrial Revolution, when you think about people who amass this much treasure, when you think about people who have Industrial Era gifts, uh, being technology, being so much so, well... Obviously, there's a clear parallel to history, too, where you have the capitalists who do not have the fruit of... Sorry. It's the workers who don't have the fruit of their labor. It gets hoarded by the capitalists, which are the top of the hierarchy. So the hobbits, who are at the bottom, they don't quite like this either. And in fact, this is a critique of industrialization found in communism, too, where there's one central source... Um, that controls the production of a previously shared label, uh, sorry, labor. Now, in the description of a changed shire later on, we talk more about the mills that come in, um, and so on and so forth. And then there are the farmers who reject the idea of using machines to speed up the labor process. So I talk a bit about that. And I talk a bit about how Tolkien does not trust the rapid mechanization of Europe either. Um, he also uh, likes to point out that hobbits especially did not welcome change and had resigned themselves to a fate. And that is something Tolkien compared to himself. He said... I am in fact a hobbit in all but size. I like gardens, trees, and unmechanized farmlands. So I talked a little bit about that too. Moving on to paragraph two. In paragraph two, I talk about Isengard, which is a fortress of men under the possession of Saruman the Wise and the Orcs. Now this is an important place because it's a place of heavy and rapid industrialization and development. Now, in Lord of the Rings, we see that um, there are people, especially like Saruman, who talk about a new power rising, and then that there's one where nobody can vanquish it. So, in a thirst for knowledge and power from it, the wizard Saruman launches into a glimmering hope that industrial progress is the only way to safety. So now, he talks a lot about inevitability of progress again, and then paints Saruman as a grudging leader of progress. Now, they also start talking about roads being paid, paved over and dams in the book. Now, Tolkien depicts Isengard as a pastoral paradise until Saruman turns it to urban development. And then this is in preparation for the war as well. Um, they talk 
about also the ants in Fangorn Forest who talk about, yeah, the woods. I remember walking in those days where there was no, you know, no machinery. Uh, the smell of the air was amazing. So he's nostalgic. Now this, this is actually very likened to Tolkien's own views about loss of nature. Because the, for nature, well, Tolkien yearned for an ideal rural world that he grew up in. He had to move to a, an industrial place. And he really, really wanted to hold on to that rural world. Um, Michael Moorcock uh, called it that he yearned for a mythical state of innocence as heartily as the Israelites yearned for the Garden of Eden. So Tolkien is inserting himself into the position of the ants, looking on to Saruman, who only has a mind of metal and wheels. Moving on to paragraph three. In paragraph three, we're talking about two more places, vastly different. There's Mordor and there's Gondor, and they're both beacons of hope for either side of the War of the Ring. Mordor is for the armies of Sauron, and Gondor for the free peoples of Middle-earth. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Tolkien makes certain to portray them as descriptive based on their characteristics. Mordor is dreary and devoid of almost all living things, and Gondor has an abundance of natural resources. In Mordor, it's described as being ruinous and dead, a desert burned and choked, chokes, or it's a land symbolizing what remains after evil and industrialization, in the sense, has run its course. This serves as a warning from Tolkien that industrialization will lead to more populous and more cramped populations, too, in the camps, in close quarters, and in the used-up land. Now, Frodo and Sam... They're unaware that there's a slave trade going on as well, and good trade, too. So that contributes to the exploitation of both peoples and the land for capitalism, uh, for industrialization, and for greed. Now, unwelcome is that notion, of course. And also, there's inherent greed amongst other, uh, other people, too. This is the same in Gondor as well as Denethor, who's the late Boromir's father, uh, wants to safeguard the ring so industry may be delayed, but then succumbs to wanting the industry for himself. Now, this is similar to Tolkien, again, um, also to ensure that it's similar to his life, because his new world, once he moved, was dominated by terraced houses and brick chimneys. Uh, concrete backyards and so local factories. So Tolkien finds himself devoid of all natural things, all things which are good. And especially in Gondor, the big white, you know, walls, the big abundance of resources can be so quickly gone if people fall to greed, if people fall to um, modernism, if people fall to progress. Moving on to the conclusion. Moving on to the conclusion. Um, I'm actually going to read this one, uh, see and paraphrase. So the main settings are, without a doubt, 
being used to convey the struggle between progress and tradition. Now, we talked about Shire, where people are suspicious of wealth, greed, and machinery. We talked about Isengard, where Saruman and the orcs industrialize and develop land wantonly while nature suffers. And in Mordor and Gondor, where the former lacks resources, but the latter lacks willpower to prevent corruption. My conclusion came to the fact that J.R.R. Tolkien does indeed demonstrate that industrial progress is an unwelcome yet inevitable change. And especially Especially in the anti-modernist and conservative setting, that is Middle-earth through a gain of power and a loss of cultural identity for all of its inhabitants. Now, Tolkien never trusted tech. He never trusted machinery. In fact, it was his nostalgia to his good old childhood days playing amongst the trees with his friends that he created the Shire as a perfect place that was untouched by industrial uh, progress until later on. And also that there was a desert of Mordor, devoid of everything good. Um, now these settings inspire the characters to act or react in certain ways. The hobbits are wary, Saruman has a desire for power, Boromir has greed at times, and so on and so forth. So Tolkien's being anti-modernist and conservative, has deemed industrial progress as an evil both inside Middle-earth and outside it. I hope um, you realize, I know this whole thing was paraphrased, but I hope you got a sense for this content. There are a lot of quotes I took. It took time reading into uh, The Lord of the Rings. I reread it to find those quotes that would help me in that essay. I am not reading those quotes aloud to you for fear of time, um, but... There's so much in it, and I think as soon as I did this essay, I look back into reading Lord of the Rings as I'm a fan, I look back into watching all the extended editions of the movies, and I can see so quite clearly that industrial progress is the evil in there, that the natural world that is untouched, that is something we should strive to protect. And I see it in the characters, I see it in the settings, and I see it reading into Tolkien's life too. So... I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, take care of yourselves. Uh, make sure that, well, you don't hate industry, but you're cautious, you know? Um, especially in this new day where we're living under a capitalist world. You gotta make sure that technology is used for good, machinery for good. And that's the lesson Tolkien should have put forward. I think it does come across a little bit, but... You know, we got to be more environmentally friendly. Protect this earth, you know? Um, I'll see you guys next time. Take care, everyone. This is Aryan Batchbase signing out.